You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Go. Welcome to the season seven premiere of Stupid Bitches Say What, the Aussie podcast about everything and nothing, but always with wine and your fabulous, drunken, and stupid bitch hosts. Sean Hipkins and Sky Lee Collett. Yay, season seven. This week, it's True Crime Australia, please. Listen in as Sky covers the harrowing massacre that occurred in her hometown, the Central Coast in New South Wales, whilst I discuss the serial killer, William MacDonald, a.k.a. The Mutilator, the English serial killer responsible for the deaths of five people in the Australian states of Queensland and New South Wales between 1961 and 62. Before we get into that, what, pray tell, are you drinking, you stupid fucking bitch? Well, look, I never thought you'd ask. It's been a, a little while between podcast drinks. Yes. Um, But this evening, I'm just sipping on uh, Suntory. Oh. 196 double lemon fizz. Oh. It's only 122 calories per serve, but it's one standard drinks per serve plus. And what is that, a vodka? Or a lemon seltzer. Um, it's a a shakyo, shakyo oh. vodka and, and vodka and soda with natural lemon. Now Tyler told me this story, and I'm not a hundred percent sure how true it is, but it has on here Suntory one nine minus one nine six degrees freeze crush technology. So oh. apparently, according to Tyler, they deep freeze the lemons and then they crush them. While they're wow. frozen in a deep freeze, and then they put them in for the flavor. Why does why does that just sound delicious? It, like it, I've never it's actually eaten quite it. delicious, and I don't really like my mixes, um, my pre mixes, unless they're sodas. Is it um, a minus one nine six degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius? Yes. Well, Celsius plus. Jesus Christ, it's that's chilly. It's Celsius. Oh, right. it's a little silly. I'm glad to know you seize from your efforts. I do, I do. <laughs> my seize from my vaginas. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I've been onto these for a while. Like, I can't drink loads of them because they're quite sweet, mm. um, but quite refreshing. I do enjoy them. Um, delicious on this Friday evening after a really, 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 really fucking long week. Um, so it's nice to have a little drink. Haven't drunk since Saturday night. <laughs> oh, cheers to season seven. Cheers to season seven. And what, pray tell, Sean Bino Hipkins, are you drinking this fine Friday evening? Well, funny you should ask. So picture it. I got a big delivery. <laughs> picturing. I'm picturing. <laughs> I got a big delivery of wine from Naked Wines a while ago, and it was a special batch. And in it, a beautiful little bottle of ice wine came. And I thought, oh, ice wine. And that's made from, similar to your lemons, from frozen grapes. They make the wine oh, out of frozen grapes. It's a thing, is it? It's a niche. A niche it is a niche. Market. The first time I had it was actually back in 2006 in St. Gouard, Germany. Maria and I went there and I bought a bottle of ice wine, held on to it until I had a special occasion. And that was meant to be, originally, I think, when Vinny and I got engaged, but we were in Thailand at the time, so didn't have it. So we, we drank it when Vinny got his permanent residency, which Aww. was in 2000 and... I want to say 18? 13? 19? No, oh, oh, no, no, it wasn't his permanent residency. Sorry, I think it was his temporary residency. Oh, it was so his I was permanent. thinking his citizenship. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those. I popped it. It was in <laughs> the fridge. I popped it. We drank it. Vinny was disgusted. I was like, fucking, I've held on to this. For, for nearly 10 years. Yes, for years and years. For years. But he was right. It was disgusting because when I opened up this one, I put a little taster in it. It's a very syrupy dessert wine. So it went straight back in the fridge. And to get to the point of your question, <laughs> what I am drinking is my old faithful Cab Sav, also known as My Other Self, which is the name <laughs> of the bottle. And it says underneath it, Gary Knows Stuff. Ooh, it's a 2021. Cab Sav from the great southern Western Australia. It's what a one stuff. It's, do you reckon Gary knows? Well, Gary knows stuff. Most importantly, Gary knows that this Cab Sav exhibits sage, blackcurrant, and chocolate aromas, typical of the cool climate say. region. Yeah. 
Gary knows that soft castles, cassies and mulberry fruit palate are balanced with subtle oak and smooth round tannins. Mm, and Gary also cool. knows with careful cellaring, it will reward. Bottom line, Gary knows this is a great chink. Cheers, angels. Chink. Chink. A great chink. I love my drink sauce on it. So, yeah. I don't know how they get all those flavors out of the wine. I just taste it and I'm like, oh, it's bad. Oh, it's nice. I go, oh, aromas of chocolate and mulberry. Is that a hint of sage? Isn't that supposed to be why you decant it so that you get the flavors on your palate? Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> I don't know. I don't just let it breathe. It took away some of that. Ooh. You're just like belling posh with your decanter, don't mm. you? It's meant to do something. I bought into it and I have several. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your week been stupid bitch uh look my week's been good and just thinking because i i did have limited topics to talk about um in how's your week but i've just sort of a couple all of a sudden oh, but talking plus about those last minute fucking reminders i know talking about the palate and you know tasting things <laughs> okay. last friday night we went to um the newest and hippest gin bar in the Capalaba area plus oh sounds um, hip already yeah i'd only been open for a week oh. i think we were one of the first customers there and we got truly sloshed and they pretty much had to say last drinks guys get the fuck out <laughs> um but there was a whole range of gin now i'm not a gin drinker i don't like it i hate gin I hate yeah it. i just eh, even when i try like even when they do the fancy gins and the flavored gins and they oh, make the floral them ones are the worst it's just the botanics gin the botanic but Vinny gins, loves the... gin doesn't he well, he did until recently when he had a major spew Dirty on them. Dirty spew on them, yeah. So do we've it. got heaps of bottles of gin that he's gotten for his birthdays and shit still up there that he won't touch now. <laughs> Sell them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Marketplace. <laughs> so, look, that was a little interesting adventure. Um, but the thing that I have What's to it probably... called? What's the place called? Oh, fuck, I don't know. Gin bar. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. It's um sort of like in the back end. Do you remember? Oh, it was funny when we drove there. I went to Tyler. I brought the boys. Um, but um, what was it? Yeah, your Bucks Night shirts from around here somewhere. So oh, when right. I brought your Bucks Night shirts for Magaluf, I went into like a warehouse something and I ordered online. I had to pick them up from just around the corner. Um, and I was like, oh, fancy that. So it's in there. It's like so. Is it Redland Coast Trade Distillery? Yes. Redlands Coast yeah, Distillery. That's what it is. Yeah. Huh. So they make their own bottles, obviously, and then they um, oh. just open a, a, a bar. And then next to it is a brewery. Um, yeah. And you can take your drinks back and forth between them. And they had some live music on, and it was, you that's know, cool. in sort of Bit like of atmosphere. industrial car. They had some food vans, food trucks, um, mm. which had some really tasty food. So it was, it was quite nice. It's like um, a little they, festival. They kicked us out by nine o'clock though. So. In the morning. <laughs> no, in the evening. Um, so that's just a little tidbit. But the other thing I really have to mention um, is that uh, my husband just several weeks ago got awarded um, the MVP for the Cyclones Rugby Union. Now, do you know what an MVP is? Most penis? valuable penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> But he was voted most valuable player um, and players. Congratulations. Player. Oh, well done, Tyler. That's so amazing. Had two trophies, which is practically unheard of to get both of those awards. So all the team that he plays with voted for him and then the club voted for him. As oh, as okay, as Tyler. That's awesome. I know. Was so he chuffed as? MVP. Oh, I was chuffed. I was absolutely chuffed. Um, the shit thing was that the sound wasn't really good. And last, the year before when we had a ceremony for the award stuff, it was in um, the Sharkies club. I don't yeah, know, I know that Leaks one. Club yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so there was a stage and they had the mics and everything and you could you could actually hear it, whereas he had the mics, but there was kids running everywhere and the sound wasn't really loud. So it wasn't really much of a ceremony. <laughs> and I was like, I had a hunch that he would have gotten one of the awards, yeah. um, but I didn't know and I didn't want to get my hopes up. So I was like, speech, 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 speech. I could imagine you screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Baby! But- Speeches were pointless because no one could really hear. So I feel like he didn't really get his moment to shine. Oh, that's um, well. Look, getting those two two awards is definitely a moment, anyway. Yes, and I'm sure he would have said, "And I dedicate this to my lovely wife, Sky." 
She podcasts on a Friday. She helps out in the canteen on the other Fridays. Undoubtedly, he would have said that without <laughs> a absolute doubt. I know that's um, awesome. Congratulations, but it was lovely, um, and he definitely deserved it. And it was great to see, you know, his efforts. He's really killed it for the club on and off the field this he year, has. and it's it's He's only been very committed there. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well it was done. really great. So I'm very, very proud. We love you, Tyler. You're we amazing. We do love Tyler. Congratulations. Yeah. And as a gift for you, Eurovision season is starting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so how's your week been, Stupid Bitch? My week has been good, thank you. First up, I just wanted to give a little public announcement about our fucking merchandise. It's been driving me up the wall so we had it all ready to go then i made a couple of alterations because originally i fucked up the shipping so that's why we made a dollar 31 on our first sale mm-hmm. i fucked up the shipping cost so i changed it and then printify won't publish it to my etsy store contacted printify now over the last six weeks and they're just like we haven't heard back from our data team like bitches we promised our <laughs> listeners i'd get merchandise last season so anyway i'll give you weekly updates on how that's going um the other thing with my week sorry we have had over i'd say over the last year our water pressure in our unit has been fucked oh and it's fucked anyway uh, it was slowly getting worse and worse and worse but you know when it's gradual you don't really notice it until it's at a point where it's on full hot the washing machine's on you're in the shower it's on full hot it's literally a trickle yep so we finally bit the bullet and got the plumber out. We ordered, got one through one company, came out. It was a $160 call-out fee. He came and sat down, had a look at it all. It was really chatty and friendly with us. We're like, oh, yeah, cool. This is nice. He went fuckers around. Um, and he gave us a quote then for to get it fixed would be $4,500 to get these two things <laughs> fixed. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, we'd seen people in our complex saying they had the same issue. They got the plumber out, took him 10 minutes or half an hour, and they've had the hottest, most pressurised water since they've been here. They're probably taking all your water. They've probably well, done the dodge yeah, in their connection and they're draining all the water from all the <laughs> from other ours. apartments. But then every time we go to them, which plumber did you use? Who did you use? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, we're renters, so we don't know. It went to the fucking body corp. Yeah, because so they're I doing thought, the dodge. They're still in your water, man. So I thought, fuck it, I'm contacting the body corp and finding out which plumbers they used. So we contacted, they gave us the details sent them an email saying hey we've got this issue we've seen in the facebook pages some people from our building have the same issue you guys are able to fix it in half an hour can you send someone guy came out um had a look at it he spent whatever time he had to do shit 350 dollars all up for the parts for the fucking labor and we now have the hottest most pressurized water (laughs) <laughs> we've ever had since we've been here what a joker that other guy was fucking uh, over four thousand dollar difference and we'd already paid him a 160 dollar call out fee i know fuck up did you uh, ring and ask i would fucking ring and ask for it back and be like well, fuck you it's funny you say that because a friend we we're telling a friend about it and he said he had the same issue with a plumber same sort of s- scenario and then he can't left a review on the original plumber's Facebook page or Google reviews saying the worst, they will try and rip you off. This is what we quoted. This is what we got. And they contacted him and said, Hey, we'll give you back your call out fee. If you just take the post down. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking about doing it. Yeah. But shouldn't that be part of your body corp though? Shouldn't your body corp pay for that? So that was the whole, when we sent off the quotes to body corp originally, if it's pipes that service just our apartment, it's our responsibility. If it's a pipe that, yeah, I know. So it's a load of tosh. But mm-hmm. anyway, the fucking showers in the morning are amazing. The other thing I had was I bought a um, one of those little ultrasonic cleaners. Have you seen them? You put water in it, you put the your glasses that, in it. That drive around your house. <laughs> no, it's like a, um, a little vessel, basically. You put your glasses in it and fill it with water and turn it on. It does these tiny little vibrations and it cleans your shit. It shakes the shit off. Um, you, like you put your jewelry in it and it cleans your jewelry and shit sure. like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, anyway, Amazon. so we go, hey, <laughs> Amazon. Amazon. It was Amazon. <laughs> and so we put Get it in. anything up Amazon, please. <laughs> Did the glasses, the glass came out okay. Put a chain in there, that got cleaner. And then I put my eye watch in there because I know I haven't watched it and it's waterproof. And um, I go to the gym in it and the 
fucking filth that came off it. I was like, this is great. So I put it through for another round and now the fucking watch doesn't work. I Googled afterwards. Can you put iWatches in ultrasonic cleaners? It's like, no, the vibrations will fuck Fuck up the mechanics. Oh my God, totally. (sighs) And also waterproof is like waterproof to a degree. It's not meant to fucking, you know, go deep sea (laughs) diving and shit like that. It's like only like if you get it wet or accidentally fall in a pool. Like yeah. we get a bit of sweat on it. I think it goes up to two meters it had on the back. But yeah, obviously when the shit's shaking in there, the water's going right in. So yeah, I fucked up my iWatch. How old is your iWatch? I got it for with money from my 40th birthday. So it's only a couple of years old. Like, oh, they don't really last forever though. That's you're probably lucky to get five years out of it, really. Yeah. I mean, I, and all I really use it for is telling time and um Tell- measuring <laughs> <laughs> measuring my um, gym fitness. Goes to the twelve. <laughs> <laughs> and the little hand goes to the three. What time is it? It's three o'clock. It's seven eleven. <laughs> All right. Should we get into our stories? And we're going to do what we do at the beginning of every season. Scissors, paper, we're rock. Fight it out on three, though. So one, two. Are you three. implying that I don't do it on three? Fuck you. You try it. You're the cheater. <laughs> I do not cheat. I pride myself on my non-cheatingness. It's just because out of habit, I always have to say to Vinny on do three, we, and then he'll always so do it after see, three. Or do we do yeah. it down here? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I did sparkles. <laughs> one. Okay. One. Hang on. Ready? One. one two, two. Three. three. I saw what you had. You had the paper and I cut you. <laughs> I thought I did paper and I saw your scissors appear, you stupid bitch. <laughs> All right, you get on your story first. Tell sure. us about this Central Coast massacre. Okay. Well, before I do, I have a little tidbit that I wanted to share first about true crime. So you're gonna you're gonna mm. love this bit. Um, let me just bring up my notes, please. Central Coast mascara. Um, okay. So before I start my topic, I've been waiting for months for Aussie True Crime to come back around so I could talk to you about something I learned recently. Legit. Have you heard, I've, I've said this to you multiple times, so listeners, I've told Beano a bunch of times, please don't let me forget to do this <laughs> um, for the next True Crime. And this was months ago, um, but I actually remember. Oh, this is a stand so thing. Proud Fantastic. Of yes. I was so, just about to put in there, you didn't say about the stand thing, so I'll prompt you in the next step. the stand thing. Um, so have you heard or of or watched Black Snow on Stan? I think I have heard of it. So it's the show um, with the guy from Vikings, the main guy, Travis Femel. Femel, that's it. And Tyler loves him, like absolutely loves him. And he's amazing I loved him. in it. I loved him from his Calvin Klein modeling days oh, back sure, in the sure. 90s. Yeah, I could see why. He's gorgeous. He's really, mm. truly gorgeous. Um, but so he's in this Aussie-produced, Aussie-made show, basically where um, he's a cold case investigator, right? And he ends up uh, like looking for missing children mostly and he goes to far north Queensland to research um, this cold case that was you know 10 years before or 15 years before anyway so how it starts is that he's in his office and he's just closed a case and he has this whole sort of like he's in a cubicle and one side of the cubicle has all playing cards on it right and he leans over and he crosses one of the playing cards off and it has a photo of a kid anyway mm-hmm. so then he finds out some new information so what's happened is um, a time capsule has been opened uh, just after the anniversary of this girl's death. And there's some new information in there that might be, you know, relevant to the case. So he picks up the card and she's listed this girl that who died over 10 years ago. She's also on this card. And um, he decides he's going to go back there and see if he can solve the case. Anyway, it got me, got me thinking like, what are these cards that he's using? I've never heard of this or seen of this before. So I was wondering if it was a real thing. So Tyler and I got researching and sure enough, let me enlighten you to a little something called the cold case playing cards. Ooh. Have you ever heard of it? No, I'm intrigued. Okay. So an initiative believed to originate from a US soldier in Iraq who came up with an idea as a similar type, as similar type cards are allegedly used by the military to convey persons of interest. So I guess right. in my mind, there wasn't a lot it's about like the milk it. carton thing. Yeah. Sort of. I guess like, you know, where they can't really talk or have conversations and stuff, they might just pass along 
you know, something that shows a picture of someone and that sort of points them in a direction, I guess. Um, this led to Florida introducing a deck of cold clay, cold case. Let's see how many times I messed that up. Maha. Cold case playing cards in the early 2000s into some of their prisons. Okay. Um, right. So they'd get narcs who want to get yeah, behaved. Yeah. Get so deals. Australia got wind of the tactic and started making plans in 2015 to implement the practice in South Australian prisons. Uh, it was titled Operation Persist, according to the Crime Stoppers website, please. Um, and it, it officially came out in 2017. The idea oh, so that they did go through with it. Yeah, they did. And so now it's in um, a lot of Australian prisons. So the idea that criminals are known to socialise and play cards and gossip during periods of incarceration as, incarceration as well, and that even if they may not necessarily come across something from other prisoners, they may have heard or seen something whilst they're on the outside that could bring in genuine mm. leads. The cards also display a reward amount off, offered generally in the sum of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So you see the Crime Stoppers awards, uh, rewards that come out for cold cases. It's usually yeah. like 250 grand or 500,000 and stuff like that. So it says details about the crime it's and the person incentive, yeah. and the location where they were last seen and then what the reward is. Um, so since 2017, 10 cases have been cleared in Australia alone. Based off these cards. Based off leads come, that have come yeah. from these cards. Yeah. 20 charges of homicide have been laid and three bodies have been recovered as a wow. result of information provided by prisoners. Fantastic. I love oh, that. Of those who came forward, 36 prisoners also agreed to provide statements for use in court cases. Wow. Um, the families of the victims give consent for their photos to be on the yep. cards and are usually involved in the program to a small degree, like, you know, they provide information and, um, you know, help sort of They're doing their due and, diligence and making yeah. sure the family are aware. And yeah. stuff like that. But how crazy and what an insanely good, clever idea is yeah, that? Yeah, that is cool. That's very cool. So I couldn't get any specific stats from the US from where it originated, but I know it started in Florida and then um, Connecticut posted a lot of stuff about all the crimes that they've solved based on doing it. And I mean, obviously when a crime gets sold, they'd probably update it with a new person of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. a new yeah. case. Um, and they've reproduced it so many times in the States as well, but so have we, we in Australia, we've reproduced it um, a number of times. And obviously it's supposed to be state based because yeah. you're not going to, you know, give a deck of cards with unsolved to cases. To a WA prisoner to, from yeah, Queensland. From, yeah. Exactly. So you're going to make it. So there's obviously different versions that float around in Australia. But how crazy. That is cool. I kind of want a deck. I know. Well, I looked it up to see if you could get them, but they're only like playing cards. Um, They're only like games versions of them, not the actual legit ones. Because I guess it's a bit in bad taste though, isn't it really? Yeah. If you like. Well, it's funny it. you say that. So, you know, my other favourite true crime besides our own podcast of my, my favourite murder. My favourite murder, of course. Um, I'm very, very behind in their um, episodes. So, like, I've just listened to episode 15. They got 300 and something. So <laughs> one of the hair ones in their so earlier seasons. <laughs> super behind. It's 2017, I think, <laughs> the episodes I'm listening to. they um Their producer gave them both this thing that existed, I think, in the 90s in America. And remember when um, Batman and Robin, Lion King, all those cards were a big thing, like Pokemon decks, but like yep, you'd yep. buy the movie ones and stuff. They had, And you get the little thing of gum. Yep, yep. They did that with, um, with murderers and had like serial killers on the cards and stuff like Whoa, that. Whoa, you could little... not get away with that in this day and age. Oh, and they were reading what they were getting and shit like that. And I was like, fuck me, that sounds awesome. That he, This guy was able to buy them somehow, um, obviously off the internet. But I thought, how cool would that have been, having the, the full set mm. of that? I well, I it. think in Australia at least they're only produced by Crime Stoppers or in con consultation with Crime Stoppers and then the prison pays to produce them. Because I, yeah. I read some stuff about how actually some of the Australian prisons are responsible for making them. So yeah. they decide on the templates and what's going to go on them and then they set them up to actually make them in prison. Where they the do a set work, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so and then they hand them all up. But, like, you know, they, they get bored in there and so they're playing cards. So naturally it would come up and... You might lead to a conversation, or I know this person. I spoke to someone one time, and they knew this person, and they saw this that guy's... that was the last time they were seen. This was actually the last time they seen they were seen, or some shit like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's very cool. It's a very good idea. Isn't it? Yeah. I'm glad so... you held on to that because that has been around for months yes. in my podcast <laughs> schedule. Remind Sky about Stan. She's never going to remember this. No, I know. I know. <laughs> so I've been did. dying to share that one with you. Very good. But anyway, on to my lead story, which is yes. the Central Coast Massacre. So imagine my surprise when searching for the most gripping Aussie true crime topics to research for the premiere of season seven. I came across the tale of the Central Coast Massacre that occurred on the 27th of October, 1992. I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't remember it um, and hadn't heard of it. I feel like loosely in my brain, I might've heard references. You were up here by then though, weren't you? Yeah. Well, I was, I'd probably, uh, well, it was October. So I was 12. Yeah. That year. That shit wouldn't have stuck in your head. Yeah. Your mum probably knows about it and your dad. Yeah, I was living up here and I messaged Mel about it actually. I said, what do you know? Quick, give me some, you know, some things that you've heard on the coast that I can use. But she was the same as me. She, she said she remembers when it was happening on the news and being at Nen's place wow. and then freaking out and being a kid and everyone freaking out like every time they heard a noise thinking it was the gunman. Oh, my God. I coming. can't wait to hear this. Um, so are you ready? Yes. So think, yes. About the, think about the locations. And if you don't know the locations, I'll explain to you where they are. Okay. okay? In the vicinity. Um, On the evening of October 27th, 1992, Malcolm Baker, a 45-year-old unemployed motor mechanic, made the choice to take the lives of six adults and two unborn children. In a horrific tale of domestic abuse, Baker was enraged that his 23-year-old girlfriend, Kerry Ann Gannon, had fled their living situation to a residence in Terrigal with her 18-year-old sister, Lisa. I know Terrigal. Weeks earlier, he had tried to run Kerry Ann's mother, Anne over with his car, promising that he would take the lot of yours out. That was the last straw. Carrie Ann left and had even started to move on with her life with a new beau, 22-year-old Chris Gall. At around 9pm on the fatal night, Baker showed up to the two-storey brick home, smashing out a front window with the handle of a 12-gauge sawn-off shotgun, surprising Carrie Ann and Chris, who had been watching television nearby. Now, I was thinking about this in the vicinity of Martin Bryant and the gun reform. What year was Martin Bryant again? Uh, that was 94, 95. Right. So that explains why he had a 12-gauge shorn-off shotgun because yeah. our rules around, um, you know, weapon reform hadn't come in yet. Yes, of course, yep. Which surprising when you hear this tale, um, you know. 96, really did something a lot earlier. Yeah. So the two began running for their lives. Well, this could have been part of the catalyst that started getting this shit in. Um, So the two began running for their lives, but Malcolm had the advantage, immediately opening fire. Chris was shot directly in the face, but remarkably survived. God. Um, Just need to scroll down a little bit. In a statement given to police, Chris told, he pumped the action, dropped the gun on me and shot me. I, could, I couldn't see, I couldn't move, I could only hear. All I could pick up was Kerry saying, what have you done? What have you done? Malcolm replied, I told you it wouldn't stop me. I told you I'd do it. Chris claimed next he heard Kerry say, just kill me. She tried to run again and Malcolm shot her in the back of the head. He moved on to the other occupants of the house. In the kitchen, he had an altercation with the girl's father, Tom, who was visiting the Terrigal home to spend time with his daughters. Tom was shot in the shoulder and made his way from the house to get help. Malcolm returned to where 18-year-old Lisa, eight months pregnant with her first child, had been asleep on the couch and shot her in the face. He then wandered outside, finding Tom sprawled in the yard in his attempt to seek help for his injured girls and shot him for a second time in the back of the head. Fuck's sake. Neighbours frantically responded to the gunshots and called police, but Baker had already sped off in his car. He then drove to his son David Baker's house in Batu Bay. Are they in a relation to... Tyler, <laughs> there's a lot of bakers in the world, man. A lot. <laughs> My mum used to be a baker. <laughs> oh, did she? Is she yeah. in relation to your mother? Right. <laughs> that was her maiden name. Wow. Um, so he's, he drove to his son David Baker's house in Battle Bay, about 10 kilometers away. David, 27, walked outside when he realized he had a visitor. His father immediately shot him in the back of the head at point blank. Jesus range. Christ. Yeah. So he went and killed his son now. Yeah. Because, what, his girlfriend left? Well, 
there's no motive. There's well, there's motive for the for the girlfriend, um, but the rest of it, like to kill his son, maybe his son didn't want to talk to him. I don't know. It's Was hard, he on drugs? Know. Not according to the you know the facts of, of the story. Well, I don't know if they did a toxicology report. Not, and I'll tell you the rest of it. So then maybe you'll understand why okay. they might not have. Um, so oh, okay. <laughs> Baker wasn't done yet. He got back into his car and continued on to an address on the Pacific Highway in Wyong, where he kicked down the front door and fatally shot Leslie Reed 25 in the chest. Leslie was pregnant at the time of her death. He then charged. And who was Leslie again? His girlfriend. No, Carrie Ann, the first one. All oh, right, that was, was the girlfriend, the pregnant, yep. the pregnant, um, eighteen-year-old, eighteen-year-old on the couch was the sister. Right, but Carrie Ann was twenty-three. So Leslie's a new person. He's gone yep. to Wyong now. Um, so he's killed her. He shot her in the chest. And who was she to him? I'll get to that. Okay. He then charged into the bathroom where he found his main target, Ross Smith, thirty-five, in the bath and shot him dead. Baker had blamed Mr. Smith for a failed business deal that caused him to lose the deposit for a house. He had planned to lure Carrie Ann into a bid in a bid to keep her from the influence of her family. And so he sought the ultimate revenge. So Leslie was um, Ross's partner, so pregnant with their baby. So he's um, just had no concern over anyone else. He's just gone in, you're in my way, bang. He's just well he's gone on a spree so yeah, he's gone from terrigal he's that was the target was to kill his girlfriend and i guess anyone in the vicinity then he's decided to target his son he's like fuck it i've started now i'm killing everyone else who's pissed me off exactly and then he's gone to this house in wyong which is you know 20 minute drive probably yeah. longer back then because they wouldn't have had all the highways and stuff that they have now so it probably would have taken it even longer um and then shot this guy because he blamed him for a bad business deal jesus christ it was around 10 p.m. by then, and Baker had murdered six people and two unborn children within an hour. Jesus. Baker reportedly had a hit list that included family members in Sydney he planned to wipe out. Mike Gallagher, who was a senior detective at Gosford Police Station on the night of the massacre, told the Daily Telegraph that Baker was on a path of destruction to shoot and kill anyone he thought had wronged him. So he's been stewing on this list for a while, obviously. Something snapped him and then he's just gone, right, I'm carrying it out. And maybe the son had an opinion on the relationship or something and maybe, you know, or they weren't talking or whatever the case may be, but for whatever reason, the son was like the target after the girlfriend. All the other people that were in the apartment at the time were just unfortunate to be there. I think I don't think he would have targeted them. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just they were there. So Baker's intentions were to travel to Sydney to continue to wipe out the rest of the family, Mr. Gallagher told the newspaper. So that's the senior detective at Gosford Police Station. But the killer decided to first pay a visit to his friend John Thompson, who lived in the nearby suburb of Tookley. Thompson encouraged Baker to hand himself in and within two hours of his first murder, the killer walked into Tookley Police Station and surrendered. Anne Gannon, the girl's mother, said she wanted wants her daughters to be remembered as beautiful people who would do anything for anybody. They were good girls and I'm very proud of them for what life they had. I was the lucky one. It was short, but by God, I had a bloody ball with them. Oh, bless. How sad is that? Yeah. It will I'm be glad 31... he didn't kill himself, though. I hate no. it when they kill themselves at the end. It's like, just kill yourself first. Yeah, don't kill all these Fucking other people Fucking coward, well. yeah. It will be 31 years since the killing spree this October. Jesus Christ. I know. It's really bad, hey? So Baker was committed to stand trial and on August 6, 1993, was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole for each of the six murders. He was sent to Goulburn's Supermax Jail, which backpacker serial killer Ivan Malat and gang oh. rape leader Bilal Scaff also called home and was one of the first six inmates of the prison's high-risk management unit upon its creation in 2001. Wow. Prison documents leaked to news.com show that Baker was deemed to be a high risk of conspiracy to assault, escape, and hostage-taking. Paranoid and aggressive state of mind, one of the documents read. (laughs) Well, that's Uh, evident, yeah. He obviously had issues. Lack of insight into own behaviour. Returned from Long oh, Bay Hospital. He was Hospital. a victim out of everything, probably. Yeah. Returned from Long Bay Hospital, stabilized on psychotropic medication. I wasn't really so, sure what psychotropic medication is. 
No. Um, former inmate John Killick spent time with Baker behind bars. He says, he was in Goulburn when I met him. He killed six people. He's quite mad. He was one of the guys I associated with while walking in the yard. He got a bad bashing in prison. He's quite explosive. He was all right with me, but he had a hot temper. Obvs. Obvs, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. What a rampage, hey? How fucked yeah. up is that? How did it feel reading that when you could know all the places he was going and all that <gasps> shit? Well, then when I spoke to Mel and she said to me that, um, you know, they were just waiting for him to barge in because they, yeah. like, I guess they probably, it, it was probably on the radio and back in the time as well. And like, she was a kid too, so she wouldn't have known the full circumstance, this yeah. sequence of he's turned himself in or anything at that point. And news didn't travel that quickly. Do you know what I mean? Back then yeah. it wasn't like you had the internet. I mean, the internet was around, but nothing like we know it as now. Oh, no way. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like, you know. And it wasn't even really that around. It wasn't no. in every home or anything. Yeah, there was no, too. like, there wasn't even mobile phones. There was still yeah. landlines, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't have been like, so those people, those neighbours in Terrigal who called the police, it wasn't like they posted on Facebook or, yeah. you know, posted on any type of internet to say this is what's happening. So it would have probably come over because the tv stations wouldn't have even gotten there in time it yeah. probably would have been local news like local radio stations have gone this is like someone's just called us and told us this is what's happening yeah Let's people with on police the radio. scanners overheard it and shit. yeah yeah jesus i know full on right yeah hectic and just but you've been to all those places i know because I, I even thought wygon sound familiar uh wygon yeah wyong why <laughs> Touch it sounded familiar. <laughs> but what about the fact like he shot them in the face? Oh, and so Chris, the guy who survived, there's yeah. photos of him on the internet if you want to go and have how a look at shit, the damage. How much um, shit happened to his face? Yeah, so it's really bad. Like he's, you know, he's got, like I think he would have normal, like a normal life, but the scarring, it's like he's it's like, you know, completely his whole side disfigured. of his face is completely disfigured, yeah. So it so, would have been an open wound and shit like that when it was on the floor. So Teeth gone everywhere. The 25th anniversary of the murder was um, 2017 where I got some of my information from. And that's when the mother finally came out. Like she lost her husband and her two daughters and her future grandchild yeah. in one clean swoop. So, you know, 25 years later, I guess she maybe felt tired, like she wanted to talk a little bit. So she gave a little bit of information, but they tried to, some of the articles that I read on the 25th anniversary, that all reached out to Chris to see if he would go on record and, you know, tell of his experience and he refused. Oh, really? He wasn't interested, I guess, in religion. I guess Because it would have ru ruined his life. He's living with that pain every single fucking day. Mm. And seeing what happened and, um, you know, watching those murders happen in front of him after being, well, he wouldn't have saw it because he was the first one shot, but he heard yeah. it all go down. Yeah. But just couldn't move. So I just um, wanted to Google what the difference between a massacre and a spree is and a serial killer. So the dictionary defines a serial killer as a person who kills more than one victim in more than one location in a very short period of time. Well, that applies. But according yeah. to the FBI, that definition actually reflects the behavior of a spree killer. Mm. A spree killer is someone who kills two or more victims over a short period of time without a cooling off period. So, yeah, that was a spree. What's um, the definition of massacre? What's... Because it's the same with... um that Stratfield one I did, like that's kind of a spree as well. A massacre is an indiscriminate and brutal slaughter of many people. So maybe a spree and a massacre is the same. Mm. And a serial killer is a series of murder, often with no apparent motive and typically following a characteristic predictable behaviour pattern. I think I there was something more motive. about the fact they had to do it over a period of time as well, mm. I think, with the serial killer. Mm. Well, anyway, I'm doing a serial killer now. Mm. And his name is William McDonald of He's the McDonald's. He's from the 60s, isn't he? He is, a.k.a. the oldie. Mutilator, please. Oh, that sounds nasty. Some <laughs> of them are so nasty, aren't they? When I start re researching them, I'm like, I can't. I can't talk about this. It's too horrible. Like, oh, see, I'm like, oh my god, I have to talk about this. It's disgusting. 
<laughs> there's so many fucking um with Australia too, and there's so many gruesome ones. Adelaide has a fucking plethora of fucked up serial killers to choose from. Yeah, well, I was researching, and I'll say it because I'm not going to do it, um, the Greenboro Massacre, and that's where a guy, I think it was a boyfriend of the mother, he went in and shot the mother and then shot the kids in the bed, like in their farmhouse. Oh, um, yes, I know this one. Yeah. But the everything sealed. So it was so brutal and so awful what he did to them that it was sealed and it was like a closed courtroom. Jesus. Um, none of it's ever come out. None of it's in the media. Um, so, you know, you could basically talk about the events. Yeah. Like, but that's it. There's nothing else that is available to the public to talk about. So I was like, oh, um, I'll move on from that one. So, but it was pretty bad. Oh, axe murders and her three children in there in Greener. That's right. I said shot, didn't I? No, it wasn't. It was an axe. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to look into that one. There's no information on it. Trust me, I Hopefully they've done like a fucking Crimes That Shook Australia episode on it. Anyway, William MacDonald, born on the 17th of June, 1924 in Liverpool. He's an oldie. In Liverpool. In Liverpool. Oh, Liverpool in England. Yes, he was a Liverpudlian fuck. He was an English serial killer responsible for the deaths of five people in the Australian states of Queensland and New South Wales between 1961 and 1962. <laughs> So it sounds weird because they say about Queensland and New South Wales, but there was one in Queen Brisbane and then the rest all in Sydney. North. So they oh, talk Sydney. about okay. his string of gruesome murders where um, he terrorised Sydney basically. So while there was one in Brisbane, then when he fled, it was all the pandemonium started in Sydney. So McDonald terrorised Sydney with a string of gruesome murders but before being apprehended while working as a porter at Melba's Spencer Street Railway Station in 1963. He'd basically just pick guys randomly, usually homeless ones, drag them into a dark spot and then go all out punching and stabbing them with a long-bladed knife. He wouldn't stop at just a few stabs, though. He'd do it like dozens of times all over their head and neck area. And to top it off, he would then sever their genitals. The media dubbed him the mutilator because of how horrifyingly he went about his killings. But let's look at his early life, shall we? Sure. Thanks. Let's delve into that. Let's delve into the sack of William MacDonald. As we know, he was born in Liverpool, England. His name at birth, though, was Alan Ginsberg. And in 1943, at the age of 19, MacDonald was enlisted in the army and transferred to the Lancashire Fusilers. What were the Lancashire Fusilers, I hear you ask? It was a, it was Sorry, a line. Sorry, my phone rang and I was like, decline. <laughs> it was a line infantry regiment of the British Army that saw distinguished service through many years and wars. When I saw Lancashire Fusilers, I thought, what the fuck is that? Anyway. One night, however, MacDonald was raped in an air shelter raid, in an air shelter by one of his corporals. Ooh. The encounter left him deeply traumatised and the memory haunted him throughout the remainder of his life. After being discharged from the army in 1947, he received a diagnosis of schizophrenia and was subsequently committed to a mental asylum for several months. During his time there, he underwent regular electroconvulsive therapy sessions, mm. which... Back in the 40s would have been a fucking... It's permissible, but yeah. Also horrendous. Like, I know they do it today, but it's a lot more fucking humane, a lot more controlled. There's a lot more science behind it than just fucking wetting the fucking plugs mm. on each side and going, turn it up! Yeah. So following this period, MacDonald decided to change his name from Allen Ginsberg to William MacDonald, or Willie Dees, if you will. <laughs> and left England. (laughs) He first moved to Canada in 1949 and then later relocated to Australia in 1955. He gets around Australia too. Shortly after his arrival, he was arrested and charged for touching a detective's penis in a public toilet in Adelaide and was placed on a two-year good behaviour bond. So, yeah, the guy is obviously gay or has tendencies but also some pretty big inner demons. Mm. So do you want to hear about the victims? Go ahead. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. <laughs> so the series of murders started in 1961 in Brisbane, 
McDonald befriended a 63-year-old man named Amos Hugh Hurst outside the Roma Street Station ra- Railway Station. Roma Street mm. Railway Station. God, that would have looked different back then. Been there. Following an extended drinking session at a nearby pub, they headed to Hurst's apartment, so the old man's apartment, where they continued drinking. As Hurst's intoxication grew, MacDonald began strangling him. Due to being so drunk, Hurst was unaware of what was happening, and he eventually began to hemorrhage. So, and this is obviously through MacDonald telling the story afterwards Mm. so he probably thought the choking was some part of the sex act and was like okay and then all of a sudden was like oh fuck and it got so bad that blood started streaming from his mouth and onto mcdonald's hands which pissed off mcdonald so he punched hurst in the face and continues strangling him until he kills him mcdonald then placed hurst placed hurst's MacDonald then placed Hurst onto his bed, took off his trousers and shoes and pulled the sheets up over his head and tucked him in all around the sides. MacDonald then waited there a while, then turned off the lights and left the apartment. Five days later, he found Hurst's name in a newspaper obituary column. It said that Hurst had died accidentally and of natural causes. Okay. <laughs> in the 60s, because he was tucked in bed. He must have died from a heart attack, even though there's blood on his face. McDonald's surprise, who was surprised, he had been in terror of the police arresting him for the murder, even though he was certain that no one had seen him leave the place. So at this stage, they aren't looking for a killer and he's free to flee. So after moving to Ballarat, McDonald then moved in. Ballarat. Moved to, yeah, down to Victoria. So he's gone. Adelaide, Brizzy, down to Melbs, and then he's now moved into Sydney and he's working as a construction worker. He found accommodation in East Sydney where he became well-known in the parks and public toilets, the local beats, if you will, and secret meeting places for homosexual men due to the criminalisation of same-sex sexual activity. On the 4th of June 1961, police were summoned to the Sydney Domain Baths a man's nude corpse had been found savagely stabbed over 30 times and with the genitalia completely severed from his body. Alfred Reginald Greenfield became the second victim claimed by the killer soon to be dubbed the mutilator. Greenfield, who was 41, had been sitting on a park bench in Green Park just across the road from St. Vincent's Hospital in Darlinghurst. MacDonald offered Greenfield a drink and lured him to to the nearby domain baths on the pretext of providing more alcohol. MacDonald waited until Greenfield fell asleep, then removed his knife from its sheath and stabbed him approximately 30 times. The ferocity of the first blow severed the arteries in Greenfield's neck, and MacDonald then pulled down his trousers and unwared, cut off his genitals, put them in a plastic bag and threw them in the Sydney Harbour. Oh, my God. So the killings are fucking obviously rage attacks Mm. where he's obviously either going back to when he was raped and then cutting off the genitals, you know, taking away that masculinity or that shit. So he's pretty messed up. Similar to the (laughs) same. You don't say? (laughs) Similar to the second victim, Ernest William Cobbin, a male in his late 30s, was stabbed repeatedly, repeatedly and mutilated. His body was found in a public toilet at Moore Park in Sydney. On this night, MacDonald was walking down South Dowling Street, where he met Cobbin. MacDonald lured lured his victim to Moore Park and drank beer with him in a public toilet. How cosy. Just before the attack. Oh, just before the attack, MacDonald then puts on his plastic raincoat. Cobbin was sitting on the toilet seat when MacDonald used an uppercut motion and struck Cobbin in the neck with a knife, severing his jugular vein. Blood splattered all over McDonald's arms, face, and, of course, the plastic raincoat. Cobbin tried to defend himself by raising his arms, but McDonald just continued stabbing the victim multiple times, covering the toilet cubicle with blood. McDonald then severed the victim's genitals, placed them into a plastic bag, along with his knife, and left the scene. Oh, oh this one. This one will get you. They've all got me. They're all pretty awful. This one is... Like, oh, you poor fuck. On the 31st of March, 1962, in the suburb of Darlinghurst, New South Wales, 
The mortally wounded Frank Gladstone McLean was found by a man walking with his wife and young child. He was the victim of an unfinished assault committed by MacDonald. The man who first saw him stopped in his tracks and says to his wife, and I quote, Darling, I think a man is lying on the road down there. Hit by a car? His wife questioned. Perhaps he was. I better have a look. Such old-timey chats, hey? And that's when they found McLean still breathing, but bleeding heavily, and they rush off to get the police. So, before all of that had happened, MacDonald had brought a knife from a sports store in Sydney, and that night he left the Oxford Hotel in Darlinghurst and followed McLean down Burke Street past the local police station. MacDonald initiated conversation with McLean and suggested they have a drinking session around the corner in Burke Lane. As they entered Burke Lane, MacDonald plunged his life into, knife into McLean's throat. McLean tried to fight off the attack but was too intoxicated to do so. He was then stabbed again in the face and punched, forcing him off balance. The assault was interrupted by the young family approaching the scene. So MacDonald hid himself after hearing the voices and the sound of the baby's cry. So this was the family who found the victim on the street and went to get help. Once the man and his family had left, MacDonald returned to the barely alive McLean, pulled him further into the lane and stabbed him again. A total of six stab wounds were inflicted. He then pulled down McLean's trousers, sliced off his genitals and put them in a plastic bag where he took home and disposed of the next day. Oh, my now, God. Isn't that sad? Like, it's total horror movie situation where you think you're safe and you're going to, after going through such a horrific experience, to then just have the killer come back and finish oh. you off. You're being like, oh, my God, thank God I'm saved. Next minute. The police at one stage thought the killer had could have been a, a deranged surgeon based on the manner in which McLean's genitals were removed. They thought it seemed to be done by someone with years of surgical experience and doctors in the area then found themselves under investigation. Whoa. After being dismissed from his job at the local post office where he'd been hired as a letter sorter under the assumed name of Alan Edward Brennan, McDonald went into business for himself. He purchased a mixed business store under his new assumed name, and here he intended to sell sandwiches and small goods while he lived above the store oh and carry out his days. God. Fucking creep. On the night of Saturday, June 6, 6 June 1962, McDonald went into a wine saloon in Pitt Street, Sydney, where he met 37-year-old Patrick Joseph Hackett, a thief and derelict who had just recently been from release, who had just recently been released from prison. They went back to McDonald's new residence where they continued drinking. After a short period, Hackett passes out on the floor. McDonald then got out his boning knife that he'd used in his delicatessen and stabbed Hackett in the neck. The knife goes all the way through. After the first blow, Hackett woke up and tried to shield himself pushing the knife back into McDonald's other hand and cutting it severely. McDonald then unleashed another attack, eventually striking the knife into Hackett's heart and killed him instantly. He continued to stab his victim until he had to stop for breath as Hackett's blood spattered all over the walls and floor. He was that ferocious with the attack that the knife he was using became blunt and he was unable to sever the victim's genitals and oh passes out himself. God. So that would have been total in the sense that he was the one in control. This guy's woke up, fucking damaged him, and now he's not in control. And that's why the anger has obviously come back out again where he's fucking just ploughed into him with this knife. Yeah, total frenzy. It's a control issue, isn't it, really? When he awoke the following morning he, morning, he found himself lying next to the victim's body covered in sticky, drying blood. The pools of blood had soaked through the floorboards and almost onto the counter in his shop downstairs. He cleaned himself and went down, went to a hospital to have the wound in his hand stitched. So remember how annoying it was when that guy in Brisbane, they were like, oh, he died in natural causes. Mm. You'll like this one. He told the doctor that he'd cut himself in his shop. After cleaning up the blood, McDonald dragged Hackett's corpse underneath his shop, believing the police would soon come looking for his victim, and he flees back to Brisbane. Three weeks later, neighbours noticed a putrid smell coming from the shop and called the health department, who in turn called the police. On the 20th of November, 1962, police discovered the rotting corpse, 
which was too badly decomposed to be identified. Because it was June that he killed him, right? Sorry. God, you've got a good memory. Yes, it was June that he killed him. So they didn't him. find him until November. Yeah, even though it says three weeks later, later neighbours noticed a putrid smell. But if yeah. they called the health department, then the health department probably took their time coming out. And then they were yeah. like, oh, too hard basket. Let's call the police. And the police and then they've took taken their, their time, time coming out. So, yeah, from June to November. Um, and it was too decomposed. An autopsy determined that the body was someone in their 40s, which tallied with records of the missing shop owner, Brennan, which was McDonald's alias. In late July, the police had still made no connection between that case and the three previous mutilator killings and had profiled the killer as an as operating in Sydney's inner eastern suburbs and for the ones the three previous ones where the genitals had been cut off and McDonald's shop that he'd set up was about a 30 minute drive out of Sydney in Concord mm. so they didn't connect the three to that one after investigations the victim was incorrectly identified as Brennan which was McDonald's alias, yep. and a notice was published in the newspaper obituary column. And this was read by his former workmates at the local post office where he was a letter sorter who attended a small memorial, serv memorial service conducted by a local funeral director. What the fuck? <laughs> at this time, McDonald was living in Brisbane and then he moved to New Zealand, believing that the police would still be looking for him. The urge again, however, creeps over him. The urge to kill again, sorry, creeps over him. But for some reason, he seems only able to do it in Sydney. And I was thinking, I wonder if that's because he knows that's where the beats are. He's sort of familiar with those areas. He knows mm. where he can sneak people in. It's more opportunities to sort of find gay men to murder maybe. Where does he get his money from to make it around, like get over to New Zealand? He was a letter sorterer. I don't and buy know. the buy the like the shop and everything. Like. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was just very frugal <laughs> with the money he had. So, so he returns to Sydney, and when he returns there, he meets a former workmate, John McCarthy, who said, "I believed you had died." Uh, which Mac McDonald replied, "Leave me alone," and ran away, travelling to Melbourne soon after. And, you know, at that stage, she's probably jumping on the back of trains as well with that type of shit, maybe. Yeah, but how did he get to New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> back of a ferry. <laughs> McCarthy went straight to the police. At first, they didn't believe him and accused him of having had too much to drink and he was told to go home and sleep it off, telling him he was crazy. McCarthy goes back to the police the next day trying to tell his story again, but again, they don't believe him. So he's like, fuck you guys, I'm going to the papers. And he goes to the Daily Mirror newspaper where he wow. speaks that's, with that's the crime ballsy. reporter. Go you, bro. Yeah. And he speaks with the crime reporter. And it's funny to think how shit like that would have been a huge pull for newspapers back in the day. Oh, yeah. Now you people would have would like, be like, jumped onto any lead. You'd be like, yeah, sure, come talk to me. This sounds juicy. Tell me what you got. Now people would be like, eh, so what? Someone saw someone they thought was dead. Send me an email. I've seen the Elvis <laughs> and Munro stories. That's not going in my newspaper. Anyway, McCarthy explained how he'd bumped into the supposed dead man, Brennan. The reporter saw the account as credible and filed a story under the headline, Case of the Walking Corpse. Publication got so much interest that it forced the police to, to exhume the corpse. The fingerprints identified the body as belonging to Hackett and not McDonald because this guy was a thief, remember? So they would have had mm. that shit on file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd think when they were having trouble identifying the corpse in the first place because it was so decomposed that they may have gone with the fingerprint test before burying him. That was money. Right? It would have cost a fortune back in those days to do that. Fingerprint test. Yeah. Anyway, closer examination found that the body also had several stab wounds and mutilation of the penis and testicles. Wouldn't it cost that much money to have fucking looked into that? Potentially potentially linking the crime to then, oh, my God. Potentially, potentially link. <laughs> potentially. Oh, my God. Potentially linking the crime to the notorious 
mutilator. But you think so, about it, right? So if you get your fingerprint taken right now, they they scan it in and it goes into a system. Back then, you would have literally needed to take the fingerprint. You can't just look at two fingerprints with your own eyes and go, yeah, they match. That's a match. Like you need to I actually how... have an expert and you like, I yeah. don't know the science behind it, but I'm yeah, telling no, you, can't just, just... I can't walk up to you and go, look, this fingerprint and this fingerprint, do they match? I don't <laughs> think it's as simple as that. They're simple. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to have an expert in to... It be interesting to know how they did do it back then yeah mm. but still they could have seen that the body had stab wounds and Death genitals major oversight <laughs> um so yeah they were like yeah it must be the shop owner he's decomposed and 40 it fits it's not like the body was burned badly or anything either you know what i mean where it would have all been destroyed well if it's decomposed too it's hard to tell unless you're really looking for something that if you know the stabs yeah. and stuff like that well, they were able to get it from the exhumed body, the exhumed yeah, corpse. True, true. So the Sydney police obtained an identikit picture of McDonald, which was circulated circulated to every newspaper in the nation. And by this time, McDonald had taken a job on the Melbourne Railways, being hired as hired as David Allen. Even though he tried to disguise himself by dyeing his hair and growing a moustache, he was instantly recognised by his workmates. Melbourne police arrested him as he collected his pay for the week and under questioning, McDonald readily admitted to the killings, blaming them on an irresistible urge to kill. He claimed he was the victim of a rape as a teenager and had to disempower the victims chosen at random. McDonald also said that he heard voices in his head telling him that his victims were the corporal who raped him as a teenager. He was charged oh. with four counts of murder and committed for trial on the 15th of August, 1963. The trial began in September that year and was one of the nation's most sensational. To be honest, I'm rather impressed that they caught him. He was in a different state and, like, you know, Our the identikit would have been, like, not yeah. the greatest of likenesses. Well, we've to... seen from the Wanda Beach murders and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm quite impressed with the police work, even though they were <laughs> they messed it up for a while. They got him in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Especially after the first fuck-ups. Especially in the so... 60s. <laughs> McDonald pleaded not guilty on the grounds of insanity and testified in great detail to the gruesome murders. He told the court of how blood had sprayed over his raincoat as he castrated his victims, put their private parts into plastic bags and took them home. He even told the court what he did with the genitals once he got home. Some jurors fainted and had to be taken from the court. I don't know what he did with them either, but I'm assuming it wasn't pleasant. He threw some of them out and divers found one victim's genitals in Woolamaloo Bay, please. Gross. The jury chooses to ignore overwhelming evidence for insanity and is and the jury choose to ignore overwhelming evidence for insanity in handing down a guilty verdict, which amazed expert psychiatrists. Because he was conduct he was what's the word? When you're told you've got it? Starts with con. Oh, yeah, he was like, um, I was going to say diagnosed. Diagnosed, I think that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Where he was diagnosed. How drunk are you? God, next episode's going to be crazy. (laughs) And uh, before passing the sentence, Justice McLennan said that this was the most barbaric case of murder and total disregard for human life Mm. that had come before him in many years on the bench. McDonald showed no signs of remorse and made it quite clear that if he were free, he would go on killing. He was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences with the strong recommendation that he never be released. So that's weird. So he was sentenced with the five, but he was charged with the four. They must have thrown the other one in when he admitted it. He was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences with the strong recommendation that he never be released. And like, how could you be released if you're serving five consecutive life sentences anyway? Who knows? Who understands it, really? McDonald was imprisoned at Long Bay Hospital, a division of Long Bay Correctional Centre, but soon certified as insane and transferred to a secure mental hospital. In the prison system, McDonald was known simply as Bill. He had been in prison for so long that he became institutionalised, the longest continuous serving inmate in New South Wales prison system. He stated in 2003, I have no desire to go and live on the outside. I wouldn't last five minutes. On the 12th of May, 2015, at the age of 90, McDonald died from gastrointestinal blockage, still in prison. 
At the time of his death, he was the oldest and longest serving prisoner in custody in New South Wales. He was in his 90s. Fuck. Got to 90, yeah. And he died because he couldn't have a shit. <laughs> At 90, though, he still managed yeah. to, you know, poop. live longer than a lot of people. Poop well before then. Yeah. Yeah, so that's him. That was messed up, man. That was super messed up. I know. I've held on to that fucking story since also just after our last Australian true crime episode because I had it. Oh, God, where the fuck? I had it... Um open up as a tab on my internet browser and I kept it there until I got to this point so I could actually. Yeah, you didn't even give me a hint about what you were doing tonight, did you? You didn't even mention it once. It was mine. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening to our Season 7 premiere. We hope you enjoyed our chilling tales of true crime Australia. Tune in next week for pop culture as we tackle the terrifyingly torturous tales that tantalise the traumatic taste buds of humanity and have become <laughs> urban legends. Walls I can't believe he got through all I that. I did that Damn so it. well. Be sure to rate, subscribe, review and share on the platform you listen to us on. It's good to be back, Super Bitches, and good night. Good night, Super Bitches, and yes, it's good to be back all over your back. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Good night. Night. How do I stop recording? How long is that? Yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm -hmm. He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.